I'm sitting here looking at my talk, and I have the term old age in here a few times. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, the glasses I'm wearing, I can see my paper just fine. But when I look up, <laughs> I see a bunch of blobs. And I'm like, okay, which is better? <laughs> to be able to read my paper or to see your lovely faces? So I might do this a few times. It might ruin my braids, but that's okay. So uh, tonight, as you know, I want to talk about wisdom. And I'm going to talk about it from the Buddhist perspective, what we call panya. Um, and really, truly, wisdom informs every aspect of our being. You know, it, it informs the way we think in our minds, and I'll talk about that a bit. It informs what we say, and we kind of experienced that a little bit earlier. It informs our actions. So it's really um, a very core, core and integral part of our beingness, a part of the way we move through the world. And I'm I'm not talking about intellect, like I'm not talking about smarts. You know, there's a lot of smart people um, that have a lot of power and prestige and influence, um, but aren't necessarily, um, don't have other aspects of what wisdom points to. They might not have the, you know, the desire for equity or, or human rights, right? Being smart does not make you wise. Um, some of the wisest people that I know are my children. I have a 20-year-old daughter and a 23-year-old son. And, and I, I really go to their clarity um, because there's something that this younger generation has that I find so profoundly powerful. There's empowerment in them, but there's also probably something that maybe you know people my age and up were protected from around uh, global media and what's really happening on this planet. And so their wisdom both comes from this intense overknowing. Like you know, sometimes I feel like they have to hold and know so much more than so many people do at that did in earlier generations at that age. And yet at the same time, they seem to know how to really hold it. And it's a little hard living with them because they, you know, they're the truth tellers. Um, and so I have, I, my bar is kind of high with them, right? Like I, can, I have to be totally and completely honest with them because their wisdom just, just keeps it that way for me. So I have a lot of respect for um, this, this young generation that's coming up because of all that they hold and how deep their wisdom is because of it. And it really, you know, is in line with um, how the Buddha Dharma talks about wisdom. Because wisdom, um, here I'm going to I'm going to tell you. I was actually surprised by Wikipedia's uh, definition of wisdom. I was qu- actually quite proud of Wikipedia or whoever wrote it. Um, knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense, and insight associated with unbiased judgment, compassion, experiential self-knowledge, self-transcendence, and non-attachment, and virtues such as ethics and benevolence. I mean, that's wisdom, right? That's, that's the wisdom 
that I'm going to talk about some more tonight. And that's the way, you know, that in the Buddhist teachings, wisdom is defined. And then psychology today, I also liked what they had to say. They said it's difficult to define. But people recognize it when they encounter it. Isn't that true? You know, when we're in the presence of a truly wise person, we feel it. A deep understanding that incorporates tolerance for the uncertainties of life, as well as its ups and downs. Wise people generally share an optimism that life's problems can be solved and experience a certain kind of calm in facing difficult decisions. It doesn't say they spiritually bypass them. It says they know them, and yet they know how to hold them, right? An ability to see the big picture, a sense of proportion, and considerable introspection also contribute to its development. So I like that. That should be in the suttas. Or maybe they, you know what, maybe they actually took it from the suttas. I don't, I don't know. Um, so yeah, this, this, this wisdom, this particular wisdom I want to point to is how the, how the Buddha taught it. And also I want to talk a little bit about how it's, um, I want to talk first about delusion. Because it's hard to talk about wisdom <laughs> without delusion. Um, delusion is definitely that which clouds um, our wisdom. And fortunately, we have something like a practice like this, where the ask is to look and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking. And we're, you know, whittling away at and hopefully chipping away at our delusion. You know, so it's just from, from this clouded and unclear confusion to clear seeing. Sometimes I like using the word confusion for delusion, and sometimes I don't, because I think it's also okay to be confused. You know, confused and not knowing, it's, it's, it's okay to be confused. Um, but delusion is something different, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into that. Um, a, a, some of delusion are just our habitual perceptions, our views of the world, our deep conditioning, um, You know, sometimes our delusion is not our fault. Our delusion can often come from, you know, when we look at, um, I love how ancestors were brought up today because that's a big part of my practice. When we look at our lineage and where our families have come from and what they withstood, um, Everybody's lineage, and I hope if you haven't done some ancestral work, um, it's it's really beautiful. Aaron and I are in a training right now where we've done some deep ancestral work, and so many people, and I would mostly say white people in this country, haven't done a lot of that work, and really looked at at their their lineage and where their families have come from. Maybe some of you have, um, but what they endured and what what they went through. Um, it's beautiful. So we have our ancestry, we have our DNA, we have um, epidemiology, which is so fascinating and interesting, which, ooh, if there's scientists in here, I'm sorry. Um, but how, how 
our DNA takes actual historical traumas, you know, and holds it. And so it's passed on from our our great-grandparents to our grandparents to our parents. And so we hold in in our cells, in our DNA, some of the traumas and, you know, hopefully the joys and the intelligence and all those things. But not just not just the encoding, but the actual events get held in our DNA. So, you know, all, all of this, and then our first grade teacher, you know, the friends we had that teased us as teenagers, the neighborhood we grew up in, the culture and time and societies we grew up in, all of this feeds into, you know, it, it all comes down to you sitting here on this cushion. And it can feel like a lot, right? But it can also feed into our delusion because sometimes we don't even know why and how. I'm just this way, right? I'm just this way. I look this way. I feel this way. And a lot of it is, most of it, all comes in from these causes and conditions way prior to this lifetime. And I'm not talking about reincarnation or karma or anything like that. I'm just talking about you know, a lot of different things. And, and, I, and I might bring it up again. Um, so really important to, when we look at wisdom, to also see what blocks our wisdom. Um, one of the things I notice, and, you know, I, I live in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles fancies itself a, a liberal, progressive, you know, city um, very well and and I notice how we how people in LA and I'm sure that's true with other places but we entrench ourselves in our teams you know in our in our clans like in our crew like we have our people and we feel very like safe with our people and I live in a bubble you know my, my kids went to you know progressive schools and like could go barefoot and camping was you know a big part of the curriculum and um they would study the stars and geology and, you know, all this cool stuff. And, and it was a great school in drama, and it was a, it's a great school. Um, and they used to call themselves diverse. You know, they had this big diversity mission. Like, mission statements are... I have a thing about mission statements. I think they need to be looked at <laughs> a little better. But, you know, the mission statement is, we are inclusive, we are this, everybody welcome, da-da-da. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of like that's the catchphrase, mission statement, seemingly, and I'm sorry if anybody writes those, but, you know, it's, I'm like, okay, 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 prove it, you know, prove it to me. And, and my skew on it was interesting because, yeah, I liked everyone that was there. They were all my people. They got me. We were, like I said, a tribe, but you know who wasn't there and not that, okay, what, what was not in the parking lot were NRA stickers, you know, there was no pickup trucks with gun racks, and there was nobody smoking Marlboros, and there was no, you know, I don't know. I could go on and on. This school didn't even have Doritos, so like that's how, you know. <laughs> and it was sort of like, that's not actually diverse. You know, that's not actually diverse. It's not diverse in the way that we are in proximity with people that don't agree with us. It's really great when everybody we spend time with agrees with us. You know, um, but there's some delusion around that type of diversity. 
you know, because then we're not asked to really play the game. There's uh, this CNN uh, political analyst named Van Jones, who I have a hard crush on. <laughs> and he actually lives in my neighborhood, so I get to go see him talk a lot. He said some weird stuff a few years ago, and he hid for a while. Um, but now he's back, and he's doing some great things. Um, but he did something that I really respected. At first, I didn't like it, and then I really respected it. He was going into the home. I'm trying not to be political, you guys, but if you want to write a feedback note about it, you can. But I just I have to say it. So he went into the homes of Trump supporters, and I feel bad I just said that. It's okay. <laughs> he went into the homes of Trump supporters and really wanted to sit down and have a conversation. And, and the conversation was not like, why the hell did you do that? Why? Are you evil? You know, the conversation, he would go into these families, you know, and they would be a, a very nice family and they would serve him cookies and coffee and they would, he would sit on the couch and they would have a conversation, you know, and just really talk and talk about humanity, and talk about who they care about, and talk about religion, and talk about, and, and just to show us, you know, oh, these people are just like you, you know, when you go into their home. I forget what his, that movement was called, but, but I, I really respected it. I liked it. And I have friends now that are doing something called deep canvassing, which is quite similar. So it's not like the canvassing where someone knocks on your door and has a script and tells you who to vote for, right, and gives you a sticker. It's um, where you stand there and you ask questions. What do, what, do you, what do you believe in? What do you care about? Who are you? Right? So when we live in these communities and these bubbles and in our views, our delusion can really grow pretty big. Um, I, my, my local neighborhood, we have this, do you on the East Coast have something called Nextdoor? It's an app. Okay, so I'm obsessed by Nextdoor. And it, it took place of Instagram and Facebook and everything. Like, all I want to do is be on Nextdoor. And so people will post anything from a missing pet to furniture, but also they'll post things like, can you believe? So that this latest one that's going on right now is this um, sort of pop-up, temporary homeless housing is going up in my neighborhood. And it's an amazing thing. You know, our mayor, Eric Garcetti, is putting a lot of money and a lot of time into homelessness, and we have encampments everywhere. L.A. is the, you know, capital of homelessness. And um, we would like to move these houseless people into housing and get, there's mental health, you know, there's mental health that's there, there's job placement, there's all kinds of great things. And yeah, it's in my nice neighborhood. And there are people, these like well-meaning progressives are complaining about it. They're like, fine, we want to help the homeless, but not near me. Not near me, not near my children, right? Like, so that's hard, that's hard for me to swallow. And it's funny because the person that posted that we're upset by this homeless, it's a beautiful, they built a beautiful place. It's temporary. It's only going to last three years, Right? And then they're going to move it somewhere else where there's a high population of homeless people. This is so not the talk I planned on giving. I I haven't even turned a page yet. Anyway, 
it's about delusion, you know, and, and so the person that posted it, fortunately, the, I think there's something like 252 posts that follow it, and they're all, you know, some people get really outraged, like, how dare you, what kind of human are you, this is evil, like, you should leave the neighborhood, you know, and, but most of them are really pointing to, come on, people now, you know, smile on your brother, we want to this is what we talk about. This is what we vote for. This is what, you know, it's like we say yes and we press like on the Facebook post that we want to help the homeless. But when it comes down to the reality, the nitty gritty, you know, it's like, oh, but, but not next to me, you know? Anyway. <laughs> I could go on and on about my neighborhood. I'm not going to. <laughs> The, the neighbors with the Christmas lights, though, that are, like, running for public office, their whole house, like, they used up, I think, all the utilities for the month one night when they turned their Christmas lights on. Um, so anyway. <laughs> so, you know, when we, when we don't see clearly, um, we take the surface illusion of things to be reality. You know, it's this... Um, I like how this, I, I don't even remember it, but delusion underlies all the other unhealthy states. You know, so greed, greed is under there, and greed oftentimes, you know, is covering up for scarcity. We don't have enough. So I, I, need, I need to get more. I'm going to get mine, right? And if I don't get it quick, somebody else is going to get it. And that's just like a, a mentality of scarcity. There's a lot. There's enough. Fortunately, unfortunately, only a few people have it, but, but there is enough. <laughs> and then aversion and hatred arise from a misguided search for security. You know, and we're truly witnessing that now. Um, I don't want to say now, but, you know, wars are just like, and homeland security. And I remember when it was so fun to fly, you know, and it's, so much changed, you know, so much changed, really, and that's where I can say no. Um, but this, you know, truly, like, I will be safer if I build a bigger wall. If I have a huge alarm system, if I, you know, like, all, so then we're building walls around ourselves to be safe. But you know what that also does? Is it makes us really alone, <laughs> really alone and really separate. So this aversion and hatred of other, you know, that there's just, it's just, it's diluted that it's going to make us safer. The, the Buddha really held freedom from delusion very highly and one of the poems that is recorded um, on his enlightenment was, O house builder, thou art seen at last. The ridge pole is broken. The rafters are shattered. No more shall you build this house of sorrow. O house builder, thou art seen at last. The ridge pole is broken. The rafters are shattered. No more shall you build this house of sorrow. And so that's, you know, delusion as the ridgepole. And delusion that holds up 
our clinging and our anger and our fear and our sorrow that keeps us separate. You know, and, and, and as I said, you know, it's, I don't know, delusion is kind of seductive. It's cloudy. It's, we don't have to pay attention. And unfortunately, you know, we've, we've watched priests and yoga teachers and Buddhist teachers, you know, from, all the way from these spiritual upholders of ethics and virtues and value who have caused some real damage in their communities, um, you know, all the way to the halls of the White House. So we're, you know, we're blanketed in it. That ridge pole, you know, and the ridge pole, sadly, is also, it's upheld by a lot of well-meaning people. But that delusion just, it, it keeps us blind. Delusion has the characteristic of blindness, of not penetrating reality, of covering the true nature of experience, of fostering unwise attention, of causing diluted action. That's from the Visuddhimagga, which is one of the Buddhist texts. So I want to talk about um, three levels of delusion that are um, recorded in the Abhidhamma. And the Abhidhamma is um, basically the mental phenomenon of how the mind works um, in Buddhist psychology. And the first level of delusion is a lack of attention or a forgetful delusion. So it's sort of that, you might have had it here on retreat, that sort of lost in thought, half asleep, that foggy, hypnagogic, spacey feeling, that experience of driving and not remembering any of the drive, and you get to that place, and there you are. And, or I remember when I was a kid putting on the, the, the album, putting on the vinyl, and I'm going to listen to this song. And then the end of the song would come, and I'd hear the boom, 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 boom in the, you know, in the record. I didn't hear a word of it. So anyway, you know, I'm getting nostalgic. The, that, 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 you know that, that checked out, that basically that checked out thing. It's when we're on automatic pilot. And we miss the beauty. We miss our loved ones. You know, when the little kid's like, Mommy, Mommy, my, my painting. And you're like, busy. You know, I'm doing something else. And in the, the frenzied paces of our agendas and our multitasking, the fragmented attention, it becomes very cursory and shallow. Right? We just kind of, how much can we get done? How much can we touch and do? And it, and it keeps us in a sense, in a, a little bit of delusion. To the point of where we can be surrounded by stimulation and still be bored. Sometimes I pat myself on the back because I can listen to a book on tape and read at the same time. <laughs> like, great, Joanna. <laughs> like, I, it's not enough just to be reading one book. I have to read two at the same time. Not like one's on the bookshelf and one's, you know, but at the same time. And then, you know, our consumer society definitely, definitely supports this and, and, and reels us in, um, gives us our fixes so that we can stay numbed out. 
thinking we need the next and latest. Like, I'm pretty sure I need the iPhone 11. I'm pretty sure that it'll make me happy. Um, until my bro- I was having dinner with my brother the other day, and many of you might know this, but I don't tend to read so much. So much. I read certain news, but not all news. And he was saying how Apple was sued recently because did you know that when you update your phone, if it was an iPhone 6 or 7, if you update it, they literally plant this like little meanie in there that slowly makes your battery die quicker. Have you noticed your battery dying quicker? That They did that on purpose. So every time you update it, it made your battery die quicker so that you had to buy the next version. Right. They got sued. Probably not for enough, but they did get sued. Um. So we, you know, we fall prey to like the marketing and the manufacturers and you need this and your life will be better if you have this, right? So, and what does that have to do with delusion? It, it, what it has to do with delusion is like we get tranced out and we're just like, okay, okay, if you say so, right? We're just not paying attention. So this is, this is one kind of delusion. And that goes hand in hand with distractedness and speed and addiction, you know, um, it really challenges our habits to pay attention to delusion. And that's where this mindfulness really can tether us. It can anchor us. It can keep us in place if we really pay attention. So the, some of you have brought up tiredness or sleepiness. That's like that first level of delusion. It's not delusion if you're tired, right? If you're tired, you're tired. Like we, we rush, we rush, we rush. We need sleep. Our bodies need rest. If we've had enough rest, and I know some of you had this question, if you've had enough rest and there's still that dullness and every time you sit, you're falling asleep, every time you sit, you're falling asleep, sometimes that is a way of checking out. Sometimes there's like a deeper emotional component going on that, um, that might need some attention and, and be helpful to look at. So then another level of delusion is the delusion of denial. You know, that one when we don't really want to see what's in front of us. The, the won't see the red flags because we're falling in love or, you know. What's the one? You know, we see it a lot in domestic and intimate partner violence. That delusion that it's going to get better. My mom, um, my mom grew up in Harlem. In she was born in 1931, and my mother's a very light-skinned black woman. Um, I grew up in a black community, and uh, she left Harlem uh, maybe in her in her late 20s, and she moved out west. She moved to California. That was after Guam and Hong Kong, and she did some traveling. And she moved to California. But when she moved to California, my mom was able to pass for white. And so she decided she was going to do that. And she married my dad, who's Sicilian, who has nappy hair, full lips, a big ass. You know, my dad looks like the black one. And my mom passed for white. And so she always felt like, oh, I'll just like push my kids. Because me and my brothers, as little kids, were black kids, right? And she was like, oh, well, I'll just blame it on his Sicilian look and self. 
And so I got my hair pressed. Like I was in the, once a week I was in the chair at the beauty shop and I wasn't allowed to get my hair wet because it would give us away. And so I spent my life up until I was, you know, 13, not knowing that my mother was black. She didn't go visit her parents in Harlem, who were still there, and my aunties, and my whole fa- her whole family. Um, and so she did this thing, like, she hid. And when, when I was 13, me and my brother were laying on the bed with her, and we were just all talking. She goes, I have to tell you something. I said, what? You're black. And we're like, no kidding. Because we'd spent our whole lives being teased. You know, it's like you grow up in a white community and you're the only one with lips and hair and da da da. You know, we were dense skin color. We were teased the whole time. So it was just kind of like, but that delusion, you know, A, she really thought we didn't know and the world didn't know. <laughs> but B, like, the lie was more important. The hiding was more important than the truth. You know, so that delusion of denial, pretty big. MLK, because we have to bring the brother in. I am convinced that if we are to get on the right side of the world revolution, we as a nation must undergo a radical revolution of values. We must rapidly begin. We must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. We're we're still there, people. We are still there. That's that's denial, you know? There was a commentator who was like, oh, I looked up who you referred me to. And so this brilliant woman, I'm not going to remember her name right now, but talking about um, how during the Obama administration, it actually gave us the idea that maybe things were changing and getting better. Um, And then, dun-dun-dun, you know, to be continued. So, and, and then I want to talk about the last level of delusion and then get into wisdom. <laughs> Yay. But you get where I'm going, right? Like, these are things that keep us out of wisdom. We're entrenched in it. Um, it's around us everywhere. So then the next level of denial um, is the misperception of reality. You know, that, that um, happiness and permanence and the nature of who we are or who we think we are, we don't truly understand. And in, um, in Pali, the words are dukkha, anicca, and anatta. And Aaron talked about the dukkha last night, um, the three types of dukkha, the, the dukkha dukkha, the dukkha viparyana, and the uh, sankara dukkha. Um, anicca is that impermanence is real. You, you know that, right? But we spend a lot of time trying to grasp and hold on to it. You know, happiness, there was a time when I thought that happiness was just stringing together pleasurable moments. I I could not leave even a little bit of space in between. 
like, okay, what's good next? What's, what can I get next? What can I do next? How can I feel good next, right? And just like that was, that was happiness. And that's exhausting. It's totally exhausting and not always wholesome. You know, can often lead to much, much disappointment and misery. Um, so we learn that in the part of delusion is thinking that happiness is an external project, you know, through getting things that we want. And as we know, and many of you know, there, you can have wealth, you can have the right job, you can have the partner, you can, we can have all of these external things, which is beautiful. But when, if not met with an internal peace, there's always something wrong with all that. It's never enough. We always need more. So that, that delusion that happiness comes from external circumstances, the delusion that anything is permanent. My friend always says this, and I don't know if she made it up or... Um, I'm not, I don't have a very good memory, so I always have to read, even if it's short. It's something, it's something like um, birth is a terminal... Wait, what is it? Birth is a terminal death sentence? Something like that. It does, it, that didn't sound very good. Um, <laughs> but I got through it. It sounds a lot better than that. Um, but, you know, just, just those ways that... Um, We hold on also to who we are, to identity, to these fixed identities. You know, how many times maybe on this retreat did you have a sinking feeling or a bad feeling or a hard feeling and it gets so solidified that we think that this is how it's going to be forever. You know, this is me now. I, I uh, on a retreat, I was sitting, I offended a teacher and I was a yogi and I was devastated, 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 devastated. And I went into a shame spiral that I didn't leave my room. I didn't leave my room for almost four hours. I curled up in a ball on my bed. This was a really long time ago, you guys. The practice actually works. Um, <laughs> this was probably 20 years ago. And the, and, the, and the offense was so small. Like I asked them to get me protein powder. <laughs> And then in the hall, though, that night, so I asked them one-on-one in a meeting, and they were kind of a friend of mine, but in the, in the hall that night, they announced, like, please don't ask for extra things that we don't have at the retreat center. And so in my mind, they were like, Joanna, <laughs> don't ever want anything again. You know, like, that's what I heard when they said that. (laughs) And I felt like this old shame trigger just came up. And I was like, okay, right. Don't ask for anything. Don't need anything. Don't, you know, I got really young. I got really young. And my identity solidified around it so much to the point where I didn't even want to come out because I knew everybody knew that that they were talking to Joanna. You know? (laughs) So, um... Those are the three, you know, levels of delusion, and we all have them. We all experience them, and then this practice just forces us 
And I know that Erin said she didn't like the word purification, but I do. Um, <laughs> and, and when I think of it, when I, when I think of the purification, I think of almost like fire burning. You know, I think of fire burning something off. Um, and for me, that shame, you know, definitely went away. But the practice um, helps us if we can see clearly, if we can see clearly, and that doesn't mean it's easy, then we can cut through a lot of that delusion. It's like the womb, not a tomb. You know, that, that birthing um, into, into something different. So then there's wisdom. You know, the bright light of wisdom. And wisdom classically is looked at in the Noble Eightfold Path. It's the, like I said, it's called Panya. And it encompasses something we call wise view and something we call wise intention or wise understanding. And within that is to really and deeply know causality, to really and deeply know cause and effect, or we call it, that is called karma. To really and deeply know the Four Noble Truths, which is suffering, its cause, how we can help it seize, you know, and there is a, there is a way out, and that's the, the Eightfold Path. And so wise view and wise intention are the first two path factors. And point, cause and effect, I think for me, has been my greatest, greatest teacher. And it points to some of those things that I was mentioning about how did you get created? You know, this being that's in here now, it's wise to explore more than just what your mind is thinking right now and trying to figure out and trying to create for the next moment. It's really wise to look at And not in terms of like, I'm going to ruminate on my past, but no, you know, that moment when my mom actually told my brother and I that we were black and I'd spent 13 years confused and lying because when people would be like, bingy, bing, bongo, I mean, we heard some really, you know, my brothers and I got chased and, you know, we were treated in a certain way. And we'd be like, I am not. I'm French and Sicilian, because that's what my mom told us, right? So, so, I, so to tell that lie, and then to really find out my ancestry, do you know how much pride I had? I had so much pride. I was so happy. I read everything I could get my hands on by any black historian, black n- novelist, like everything, and I was so proud and so happy and relieved that I didn't have to live a lie anymore because I knew it was a lie. So find out, you know, where have you come from? Who are you? This is important. The Buddha points to, there's something called the Niyamas, where the Buddha points to um, the era that you were born in creates who we are right now, right? I mean, I get to vote. 
well, if I can get through the line and if I can, you know, like we have a lot of polling issues. But besides that, <laughs> you know, I, I can own my own body. I can marry who I want to. When my parents got married, the misogyny law was still in effect and they moved to Europe to get married. My mom got pregnant and had me, she was pregnant with me seven months and then moved here, but they couldn't live in the U.S. It was illegal for them to be married here. So those kind of things, like, it, it has created this being. And with that kind of wisdom, with that kind of knowing, I can move forward in a, in a really different way. Right? We're born into societal laws. You know, right now, I mean, if... Ugh, really, we're going to have to, the woman's body is up for debate again? You know, gay marriage? Really? It's like, but these are laws. They're laws. We grow up with cultural laws. You know, and I think about the fact that many, many, many girls cannot go to school across this world because it's the law that they cannot educate themselves. So in, when I look at wisdom and as us as practitioners, I feel like it's our responsibility to really know what, we're, what we are living in and participating in. When we look at our current political condition, this isn't new, right? This didn't happen in 2012, where we are. This is hundreds and hundreds of years of building and building, and building, and change, and build. Our climate chaos, our climate crisis, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of years of getting us here, you know, and now we're panicked. And what, what are we going to do? So really looking at cause and effect. Cause and effect is a huge part of wisdom. If I do this, this will happen. If I don't do this, this won't happen. Right? It's a pretty simple formula. You know, and it can be as basic as I have a wheat intolerance and I love donuts. That's a very unfortunate combination. So I know that if I eat a donut, I'm going to feel terrible. It's simple cause and effect. It's pretty basic. But there are some greater places that we, you know, it's helpful to really pay attention So sometimes I like to look at this as what can I control and what can't I control? When I like at the first noble truth, there's certain things I can't control. Old age, sickness, and death, we're not controlling it ever. That's part of birth. It's part of taking birth. But what can I control? What is in my jurisdiction? Where can my wisdom shine bright? And when we look at the mind, you know, some of, somebody brought up in here thoughts that drop in. I know that you talked about it, but it's these thought, maybe you asked the question when thoughts just come and you haven't thought of it in 40 years. We have, we have two, classically two different types of thoughts. One, one is a volitional thought and one is a non-volitional thought. So the mind is considered like a sense door in, in, in Buddhism. So we, we see, we hear, we smell, we taste, we touch, we feel, and we think. 
it's, a, it's another sense door. So non-volitional thinking is when those thoughts just come in, you've had nothing to do with it, plopped in, where'd that come from? Interesting. Okay, I can let it go. Volitional thinking is when thought plops in and we grab it. And then we keep thinking it and thinking it and thinking it and thinking it. And sometimes we need to, right? Like you brought up. Sometimes we need to, and sometimes we don't. So this is something, where do we have control or don't we have control? What am I going to feed? Am I going to feed that thinking that might be causing me more suffering? I have control over how I speak. This I have control over. Wisdom. What's going to come out and what's it going to create? What effect is this word, is this speech going to have? My actions, control over my actions, wisdom. I'm going to tell one last story, and you've probably heard it, Talia, because I tell it a lot at the young adult retreat, but I really like it. Um, And it's a story about an orangutan. And some of you also might have heard it elsewhere. But this orangutan um, is known to be an escape artist at this local zoo. And so the, some of the zoo people, I, zoologists, no, what, what are they called? <laughs> huh? Zookeepers. Zookeepers, yeah, those people. But these were like, anyway, so they, they decided to put it the orangutan in a, in a cage in an office. Terrible that it's in a cage. But it's in a cage in an office, and they, to sort of monitor why this orangutan keeps escaping. And so they, they leave for the night, and they come back in the morning, and the desks are turned upside down. There's papers everywhere. The, 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 the office is a mess, right? And they're like, what the heck? The orangutan is in the cage. Like, everything's fine. What happened? So they leave. That night, same thing happens. Destroyed. The office is destroyed, a mess. They come back, orangutans in the cage. They don't, they don't get it. They're very unclear. So the third night, they leave a camera in there, and um, they see the orangutan pull a paper clip out of its cheek, <laughs> unlock the door, come out, wreak havoc. But the interesting thing is, it didn't just open the door and walk out. It put itself back in the cage, locked the door, and put the paperclip in its cheek. <laughs> and why I like that story, well, I like it because, for a couple reasons. One, it's just sort of like, we can free ourselves at any time. According to these liberative teachings of the Buddha. You know, the Buddha was not a self-help guru. It wasn't, it really wasn't about like, you could be stress-free for a week or you could play better golf or you could, you know, <laughs> whatever. It, it, not, it's not that. What the Buddha was teaching was true and full liberation. And when I think about the wisdom teachings and if we truly know how things end up, how they are, whether we have control over them or not, we have the paper clip. We have the paper clip for our liberation. I taught that at a young adult retreat one year. 
And the next year, a girl comes back and she says, Look, I tattooed a paper clip on my arm. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> Bad example, but I'm glad it was a paper clip. Um, so, yeah, really, you know, wisdom. The wisdom to know the truth of the way things are. Like I said, doesn't make it easy. But there's a a heart's release can happen. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna age. That is gonna happen. And society's not gonna tell me it's not okay. Because it's beautiful. Right? So I love my glass. I love my glasses. And I thank you for your attention. Um, let's just sit for a few minutes. May you and all beings find their paperclip. So we have a half-hour walking period, and then we'll come back in here for um, chanting and an open-ended sit. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.